0: Much please be seated. It really is an honor to be here today. And um, it's okay. It's okay. All right. How many of you have ever felt guarded in your hearts? How many of you have ever felt fearful? or anxious in your hearts that proverbs 4:23 says guard your heart when I did a study on that word guard one of the descriptions around guarding our hearts, and often we think it's more about putting on a protection around our hearts but there's also a part of that word that means to observe or to consider your heart. Because out of it flows everything. So if we're not considering our hearts, if we're not considering what our heart feels, how it responds, how it reacts, then often it can cause an impact even in our very relationships. So today, the title of my talk is, What Are You Attached To? And I want to start off by giving you some insights from a psychological perspective because I'm a counselor and then we're going to go into scripture because I want you to understand your hearts better today. Because many of us are living with hearts that are anxious or fearful or avoidant and we're guarded not in a good way but in a survival way We are aiming to protect our hearts because our hearts carry wounds, and we don't know what to do with those wounds, and at the same time, we're not even considering what those wounds are all about. So I want to begin by teaching you about the circle of security, and if you're a parent, how many of you are parents in the room? You really want to learn about this, because this is going to give you insights into the foundations of how hearts develop. It's going to give you insights into your approach to parenting, which is good news. But for those of you who are maybe adults now, who are not parents, this is going to give you insights into maybe where some of the injuries of your heart started, So you'll see in the circle of security on this side here are two fists punching. So that in a sense represents any kind of distress in life. Anytime you feel distress, that can be from a newborn baby who's thirsty and hungry or they're tired or they need a nappy change. That can be your toddler tripping and falling and grazing their knee. That can be your kid at school coming last in a running race that can be your spouse um, not listening to what you're feeling, anything in your world that causes distress. What happens when, that, when distress enters our world is our limbic system is activated and that's a very complicated brain word. Another, wa- another word I like to use is reptile brain. How many of you remember last night we spoke about the reptile brain? Onto me this question, can you have a rational conversation with a reptile? Exactly, you were listening. Okay, so you can see there in the picture is a very angry brain. So when a person is in distress, it causes all sorts of emotional reactions inside of them. Now the key point that I want you to hear is when distress happens in a person's life, attachment is activated. Now, attachments is the glue to relationships. Attachments is what makes the bonds of a relationship go deep. Okay? So when a person is distressed, when your child is in distress, what do they do? They go running for who? Mom. Why? Because they're looking for that kiss that can make all pain go away. You know those magical kisses? oh, mom, kiss my soul better. And then you give them a kiss and they go, oh, I feel better now. Okay. So when a person is in distress, their heart is looking for someone safe to attach to. They're looking for someone to protect me, comfort me, delight in me, help me manage my emotions, help me calm my distress. Now, in a perfect world, you'll see on the other side are two loving hands. That's what the little child is running for. They're running for someone to show them safety, comfort, care. When a child finds safety, you know when you've got a little toddler, they've come up for their kiss and cuddle. What do they start doing once they have felt cared for? Then they start wriggling. Where do they want to go? They want to get off your lap and get back into the world to go play. Okay, so the top part of the circle is all about exploration. Now I want to go play. You can see that their thinking brain is turned off. I can now explore. I can now learn. I can now grow. But now as as a child, you still want someone to watch you, to delight in you to cheer you on, to help you, to encourage you. You know when you've got little kids? They go, look, mom, I can jump on one leg. Do you remember when your kids did that? Look, mom, I can count to three. One, two, three. Aren't I clever, mom? Aren't I clever? Because what's happening in a child's heart is they're growing to understand that they have potential and purpose in this world. So the top part of the circle is all about growing in security and exploration. The bottom half of the circle is all about growing in relational attachments. Now, in the ideal perfect world, what a child needs is two things. One, to know that their world, Ah, look at that. (laughs) Wow. Oh, my boys would be, how do I do? to oh, okay, push the button. Ah, oh, there we go. So in the top half of the circle is all about exploration. I have a place in this world. God can use me. I have potential. I have a purpose. I'm significant. The bottom half is all about, is this world safe? Does somebody care about me? Do my feelings matter to someone? Can I love? Can I be loved? Like I said, in a perfect world, when a child is in distress and they run to safe hands, it solidifies in their heart, you are loved, you are cared for. From that position, oh, my picture's gone. From that position, the confidence to grow and explore is solidified. Now that's in a perfect world. The question then is, what happens when a child runs to hands hoping for love, but they get that? What happens to that child's heart? The heart becomes guarded. This world is not safe. People don't care. I'm not important. Also, what happens when a child starts running into the world and they're controlled? Don't go there. Don't do that. You're useless. You always fail. You know, when children learn to pour milk into their cereal. My son is 11. My oldest boy, he was here last night. I think he was just super tired because I think he just kept pouring and the bowl overflowed. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing, Deed?" And he was like, oh. But at some stage, a child has to learn you just pour milk? Now, what do you think is going to happen the first time they pour milk? It's going to make a mess. If the message they're told the first time they make a mess is, you're useless. What do you think that's going to do to their heart? It's going to create an anxious heart. I can't do anything. I'm not good enough. And it's important to understand the impact of what happens to a child when the message is spoken over them is one of of shame or negativity, and what happens to a child when they're looking for comfort and there's nobody there. If you can go to the next slide, please. This slide helps you understand the four spaces of attachment. Now, attachment at the top here is all about how I feel about me, and down the side is how I feel about others. So in this top corner here, secure attachment, I like this. I need to get me one of these. This is cool. Okay. It's like laser beam. (laughs) I got the power. Okay. (laughs) Secure attachment means how I feel about me is good and how I feel about others is safe. I'm confident in myself and my ability and I'm... Confidence in my ability to give my heart and to trust others. You see, how a child experiences their primary caregivers in childhood is often how they will then end up relating to their spouse in adulthood. If my parent is not safe in childhood, then often how I relate in my heart to my, par- to my spouse in adulthood will end up being guarded. 56% of the population have secure attachment. Over here is anxious attachment. Anxious attachment is how I feel about myself is bad. I'm insecure. I'm anxious. I'm not confident in who I am. Because when I looked at the circle of security, how I explored my world was ridiculed and shamed. So I'm not confident in myself, but I need others to encourage me because then I'm good enough. Make sense? Then we have, down here, avoidant attachment. How I feel about myself is good, but how I see others is unsafe. My heart is guarded. I don't trust. You can see that between these two, I think it's 23 and 20% of the population lands here. Generally, anxious attachment marries avoidant attachment. It's very interesting. A small percentage of the population lives in fearful attachment, where how they see others and how they see themselves is both bad and unsafe. This is where a lot of your mental health disorders land, over here. But for today, if you can go to the next slide, please, I wanna talk about the impact on our hearts. You can see in the top corner, how about I feel about me is my heart is good, it's open. I'm happy to let others in. That's the goal of life. When a heart is in that place of secure attachment, then God can use them freely because they're not anxious and insecure, and they can love with an open heart because they're not fearful. They're able to trust. But how many of us live permanently in this space? Some of us are incredibly insecure I said a little bit about my story yesterday. I was incredibly insecure growing up. My parents were divorced before I was one. My mom should never have had children because she wasn't a nurturing mother. And so I felt like I just didn't belong. I was so convinced I didn't belong that when I was 12 years old, I went looking for my adoption papers. Anyone ever done that? I'm like, my real mom must be out there. This can't be my mom. Where's my real mom? I want to find her. Maybe I'd watch some, any movie or something, looking for my adoption papers. Instead, I found my birth certificate and their marriage certificate, and they were six months apart. And then I did the maths. Oh, I'm a mistake. So the story I told myself is that I don't belong because I'm a mistake. I wasn't wanted. So my heart became guarded. Battery door. Oh, there we go. My heart became guarded. I can't trust anyone, and I realized very quickly I need to become independent, self-sufficient, and I keep everyone at arm's length. Nobody is allowed into my heart. I trusted my heart because I learned to look after myself. So I ended up with an avoidant attachment. I shared a little bit about my husband's story where he had a dad that spoke negatively over him, that spoke ridicule over him, that suppressed him, that never went to any of his sporting events. So he had an anxious heart. Am I good enough? Do people care? I believed I was good enough, but I just never allowed anyone in. And that robbed me for many, many years Some people are just living with a completely broken heart. There's nothing good about me, and I can't trust anyone. So how do we live like this? If you can go to the next slide. Are you following? Is this making it easy? Okay. Now, when we have parts of us that are healthy... That means we're calm, we're curious, we're creative, we're clear, we're connected, we're compassionate, we're confident, we're courageous. That's what life's all about. That's what God wants for us. Because then we can can thrive. We're not just surviving, we're thriving. We're able to give the best of ourselves and love people. But what happens when there's a little part of you that's broken? So my eldest son is 11. And he's the same as me. He's dyslexic. He can't read properly. And his spelling is terrible like mine. I tell people now, I'm a confidently bad speller, but I've published two books. (laughs) Okay. But when I was at school, I didn't know I had dyslexia. And at school, you had the A class, the B class, the C class. Do you remember those? I was in the G class. And G didn't stand for good grades. Okay. Or even good kids. So the story I told myself is I was stupid. Because what we do is we take a little broken part of us, and we define ourselves by that broken part. I can't spell. I can't read. That means I am stupid. So my Josh, he's eleven. He was struggling to read the one day, and he got really angry, and he threw the book across the room because he was feeling ashamed. Because I'm just stupid. Now, two years ago, he was in a bridging class at school for English and maths. He was doing so well in maths that they put him back up to mainstream, and by the first term of that year, he was top of his class for maths. So I said to him, help me understand. How does somebody who's stupid get to the top of his class for maths after being in bridging for two years? Is that just luck? Or actually... Does it mean that you actually are clever? There's just a little part of you that's broken. Because the Bible says we all fall short. There's something broken in all of us. But the devil wants you to think that you're broken as all of you. So what happens is we take our broken piece and then we exile it. We put it behind bars because now we are ashamed of that part of ourselves. And then we want to survive. Because if we, if anyone sees that broken part, ooh, they're going to reject us. They're going to mock us. They're going to ridicule us. So there's two things we do to keep exiles safe. We have to protect them with managers, and we've got to fight for them. So this is how we start to live our lives. If I'm afraid that I'm stupid because I can't read, How I manage my world is I'll never put myself in a place where I have to read. You know when you're at a staff meeting and someone's got to write on the board all the notes? I never volunteered for that job. Because I would always be scared I was going to spell something wrong and then feel ashamed. If somebody said, right, who wants to read this verse to the church? I'm hiding away. I'm managing my insecurity by controlling my world. Sometimes I might even criticize other people or please other people because I don't want to be found out. So when there's a broken part of you, then you learn ways of managing your world so that you don't get hurt. If there's a part of you that believes no one loves you, you will manage your world by not allowing anyone to come in. Make sense? The other way we manage our broken part is we fight. So, with my Josh, when I asked him to read, there's a part of him that is afraid there's something wrong with him because he's struggling to read. But instead of talking about the fear, he fights. I don't want to read this book. This book is stupid, it's for babies. What is he trying to protect? His shame, his fear. So we fight. If anyone steps into that fear space and you're triggered, remember we spoke last night about the hailstormers and the turtles? Those are fighting patterns. I can either fight you aggressively with words, with fists, or I can fight you passively by pulling away and shutting down so you can't come in. But if I'm constantly managing and fighting my broken parts, do my broken parts ever heal? Because I'm starving then. I shared last night that Craig O'Shell said, you cannot defeat what you haven't defined. Part of our healing journey with our heart is to consider what are the parts of my heart that are broken and are needing healing Isaiah 35 verse 4 says, Say to those with an anxious and panic-stricken heart, be strong, fear not. Indeed, your God will come with vengeance. The retribution of God will come, and He will save you. That's the amplified version. What I love about Scripture is that it speaks to every posture of our hearts. If you have an anxious and panic-stricken heart, in other words, you're not sure about yourself. You're not confident in yourself. You're afraid there's something wrong with yourself. God is saying, you know what? Be strong, don't fear, because I will be with you. I will save you. You're not alone with this heart. John 14 verse 1 says, don't let your hearts Be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me also. You see, there was many years of my life where my heart was troubled because I didn't know how to relate to others. I didn't know how to reveal my heart to them. I didn't know how to invite them in because I was anxious that I was going to get hurt. And if you have an anxious heart, or a fearful heart, or an avoidant, guarded heart. And you want to start to learn to love again. Your first step is trusting in God. How many of you have ever had a broken ankle? Anybody ever had a broken, twisted ankle? How painful is a broken, twisted ankle? It makes you want to vomit straight away. It's terribly painful, isn't it? Let me ask you a question. Knowing that your ankle can break, has it ever stopped you from walking? Why not? People fail you. Have you ever had a broken heart? Does it stop you from loving? Don't lie to me. Yes, it does. There are many people who have had broken hearts and they've made vows. I will never love again. I will never trust again. I will never make myself vulnerable again. People can't be trusted. Well, you know what? Ankles can't be trusted. Does that mean we stop walking? You know what I'm saying? The Bible says that I cannot say to the ear, I don't need you. We are parts of the body of Christ. Tell the person next to you, you are a part. You are not the whole body. Know your part. Sometimes your part will fail. But don't worry if you fail. You've got other parts to help you. You see, when your ankle breaks, what does the rest of your body do? It supports it so that it can heal. We are part of the body of Christ. There are going to be parts of the body that are going to fail. It's not... It's not... Maybe it's guaranteed. There are going to be parts of my body that will fail me. Why? Because it's in the grip of death and decay. This is not my real body. This is my tent. My real body is coming one day. Okay? But I also live in the world. The Bible says, for all fall short. For all of you are going to fail at some point. Even your pastor. I always say pastors are generally visionary leaders. They're good at seeing. They're not always good at hearing. You hear me? Am I right? (laughs) Always ask the wife that question. But you know what? I don't want my ear to see. I want my eyes to see. My eyes are not failing if they're not hearing because they weren't born to hear. They were born to see. We have different parts. Do your part. But often we judge someone's failed part as my value. That person's got a broken leg. They can't love me. It must mean I'm unlovable. My mom had a broken heart because her mom was broken and her mom was broken So because they weren't loved accurately and she wasn't loved accurately, hurt people hurt people. But I can spend the rest of my life blaming or I can change. I can take ownership. What does my heart need to heal? 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 gives us four steps. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every rebellious thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Four steps. First of all, demolish strongholds. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is any behavior I turn to as a means of holding safety. Here are my defense mechanisms, my stronghold. If I'm scared, I'll become Hulk. I will fight you so you can't touch my heart. That's a stronghold. It will keep people away from loving you. Another stronghold is avoidance, my turtle. The story of the Samaritan woman at the well. When did she draw water to drink? In the middle of the day, why? Because she wanted to avoid seeing people. Most would draw in the morning or the evening when it was cool. She had a stronghold of isolation. A stronghold of avoidance. Because she was safeguarding her heart. Because she'd been married five times and now was living with a man. She didn't want to be shamed. I can't trust people with my heart. So I will guard it. But then I live a very small life. The Bible says, demolish the stronghold. So, what is the behavior I'm turning to to keep me safe? Break that behavior. There was a behavior in me that I never spoke. I was insecure. I used to stutter. When I was in high school, I went for elocution lessons to learn to speak. Can you believe it? I would never speak up in staff meetings because I thought I was stupid. How do I break that stronghold? By starting to behave differently. I never wrote a book for years, why? Because I can't spell. Can you see how it makes your world small? Demolish the stronghold. The second point is demolish the arguments. What are the stories you're telling yourself? The brain has 60,000 thoughts a day. 70, 80% of your thoughts are negative. 95 to 98% of your thoughts are repetitive. What do you think the thoughts were that I was telling myself when I was a teenager? You're a mistake and you're stupid. 60,000, well, probably about 56,000 times a day. Give or take a few. My maths is not great either. (laughs) I'm stupid, I'm a mistake. 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 All day long. You know, when you walk across a grassy field, if I walk across the grassy field once, is there a pathway? But if I keep walking across that grassy field all day, every day, the same path, what happens? Eventually, it wears a pathway. That's what happens in your brain. It's called neuropathways. We can create grooves in our brain by just repetitive thinking. You know, when you get an exam result back from school, And you got 98%. Where does your mind go? To the two you got wrong. And then what do you say to yourself? Oh, stupid. I can't believe I missed that question. I can't believe I was... You're such an idiot. How many of you speak like that over yourself? Scripture says demolish the arguments. How do you demolish an argument if you're not thinking about what you're thinking about? How do you know what truth is if you don't know what the lies are? Or how do you know what lies are if you don't know what the truth is? The third step from 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 is capture the rebellious thought. That word thought is the word neoma. Tell the person next to you, neoma. Neoma. That word neoma means a thought with an evil intention. Every thought that comes into your mind doesn't always come from you or God. The enemy has a scheme and a strategy. It's like those movies Braveheart. You know, when they would get an arrow, dip it in fire, shoot it into the thatch of the enemy's house. That lands in the thatch. What does it do? It burns it from the top down. This is your thatch. He's going to shoot an arrow into your mind. You can't read. It's because you're stupid. That person rejected you. It's because you're And the only power that thought has over you is if you agree with it. When you agree with the thought, it becomes your belief, your argument, which drives your stronghold behavior. See how it works? So we've got to capture the rebellious thought. How do you capture a robber? Whilst drinking a cup of tea? Can you do it just by blinking? No, you've got to do something. You've got to move. There's got to be an action. Same with your thoughts. If you're not thinking about what you're thinking about, how are you going to capture the rebellious thoughts? I want to read you a few more scriptures quickly. This is 2 Corinthians 2 verses 11. So that Satan will not outsmart us. For we are familiar with his evil schemes. That word scheme is the same word neoma. A thought with an evil intention. What are his schemes? Where do his schemes operate? Here. Listen to the next one. This is 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. Satan who is the god of this world has blinded the minds of those you don't believe. That word mind is the same word. Neoma, a thought with an evil intention, capture the rebellious thoughts. Neoma, listen to 2 Corinthians 11, verses 3. But I fear that somehow your pure and under devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. That word deceived is the word. Neoma, Neoma. where is his battlefield in your mind? What are you doing about it? Are you walking around going, I'm stupid, I'm a mistake, I'm stupid, I'm a mistake. God can't use me, I'm nothing, I'm no one. No, the Bible says capture it. Then what do we do with the fourth step? Four step into Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 says to bring it to Jesus. It must obey the truth. John 8 verse 32 says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What set me free from believing that I was a mistake was when I suddenly learned to separate their behavior and my identity. If my ankle twists, does that mean I'm twisted? No. If my parents make a mistake, does that mean I'm a mistake? No. If I make a mistake, does that mean I'm a mistake? No. No. Your behavior or the behaviors of others doesn't determine your worth. The only one that determines your worth is Jesus. So I want to go back to the circle of security. There are times in our lives when we get older that we're still in distress. There have been many times in my world that I was in distress. And part of my healing journey came was when I stopped and when I stopped running away and hiding and I started running to Jesus. Because even though human beings will fail you, and they're going to fail you, just like your ankle is going to fail you, it doesn't mean there's no hope. Your husband may fail you, your wife may fail you, your children may fail you, your pastor may fail you, members of this church. I've seen people leave churches because of a failure of a pastor. Why are you stopping worshiping God because a human being failed? Your faith in Christ shouldn't be because of a pastor. He's an ankle. He's an eyeball. Sometimes you'll get a speck in it. I can't see properly, dust in my eye. If my ankle fails me, do I cancel it? You know the cancel culture now. I'm canceling, you won't believe my ankle. You now I've been taking this ankle to Bible study for four years. And it failed me. No. Never allow your value and your healing journey to be dependent on another human being. It's based on God. As I come into end, the question is, what are you attached to? What are you allowing your heart to be attached to? Is it yourself? Is it another human being? Psalm 139 verse 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. God already knows what you're going through, what you're feeling, what you're worried about. Proverbs 3 verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding or even the understanding of someone else because we're flawed, we're fickle, we're fallible, we're failures. Your value, your identity, your authority is not based in another human being, it's based in who Jesus says you are, no more, no less. If you want to find healing, it's about putting your heart before him. Psalm 37, sorry Psalm 73:26, my flesh and my heart may fail. Not may fail, probably will fail. <laughs> but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Not my flesh and my heart may fail, but my husband is my... No, but my pastor, no. But my children, no. But me, no. But God. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't trust in others. No, we need to love others. But they are not our main meal. People are the desserts of life. God wants us to enjoy relationships with creation but sometimes you have dinner and there's no dessert you know what i'm talking about you open the cupboards the cupboards are bare and you're like oh i'm sad cuz i like desserts you like desserts nothing better than a last piece of cake or something you know what i'm saying but if you are only living on dessert and there's no dessert you're in trouble God is your main meal. If you're eating from your main meal, the word every day, and there's no dessert, you are okay. Because you have sustenance. Jesus is known as the bread of Life. I want to end with one last verse. God reminded me of me this morning. This is from Psalm 18, verse 20 to 25. This is the message version. I want you to stand with me as I read this over you. Before I read this, I want you to consider, is there a broken piece in your heart? A piece of your heart that you're ashamed of? A piece of your heart that you're embarrassed of? A piece of your heart that you are scared of revealing because you know you're gonna get hurt again or you're afraid you're gonna get hurt again? A piece of your heart that is traumatized or wounded or inadequate a weak, just close your eyes. I want you to consider that peace. Remember, you can't defeat what you haven't defined. Ask God to reveal the peace of the heart that he wants to heal in you today. The peace of your heart that is causing you to limp. The peace of the heart that is causing you to live in isolation. The peace of your heart that is causing anxiety and sleeplessness and control and anger and reactions that are destructive. Ask God to shine a light into the peace of your heart that he wants to bring healing to this morning. Have you got that peace? I want you to take that piece symbolically in your hand right now. Take it out of your heart. Hold it. And now I'm going to read this verse to you. God made my life complete when I placed all of the pieces before Him. God will make your life complete when you place all of the pieces before Him. When I got my act together, He gave me a fresh start. God wants to give people a fresh start today with their broken pieces. Now I am alert to God's ways and I don't take God for granted because every day I review the way He works and I try not miss a trick. I feel put back together and I'm watching my step because God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. My prayer for you today is that you would open the book of your heart to his eyes. Because when you do, he will rewrite the narrative. He will rewrite the text. He will change it from I'm a mistake to I belong. From I'm stupid to I can do all things possible. God wants to rewrite the text and the narratives of your heart today. He wants to give you a fresh start. He wants to bring healing. He wants to bring restoration. He wants to bring fullness of life to the sons and daughters who've been limping for too long. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Just allow him to work in your heart right now as we just sit in this posture of surrender to him.